0: is from bell hooks <clears throat> all about love chapter five spirituality divine love living life in touch with divine spirit lets us see the light of love in all living beings that light is a resurrecting life force a culture that is dead to love can only be resurrected by spiritual awakening On the surface, it appears that our nation has gone so far down the roads of secular individualism, worshiping the twin gods of money and power, that there seems to be no place for spiritual life. Yet an overwhelming majority of Americans who express faith in Christianity, Judaism, Islam, Buddhism, or other religious traditions clearly believe that spiritual life is important. The crisis of American life does not not seem to be generated by a lack of interest in spirituality. However, this interest is constantly co-opted by the powerful forces of materialism and hedonistic consumerism. In the conclusion to his insightful work, The Art of Loving, written in the mid-50s but still relevant to today's world, psychoanalyst Eric Fromm courageously calls attention to the reality that, quote, the principle underlying capitalistic society and the principle of love are incompatible, unquote. He contends, quote, Our society is run by a managerial bureaucracy, by professional politicians. People are motivated by mass suggestion. Their aim is producing more and consuming more as purposes in themselves." The cultural emphasis on endless consumption deflects attention from spiritual hunger. We are endlessly bombarded by messages telling us that our every need can be satisfied by by material increase. Artist Barbara Kruger created a work proclaiming, quote, I shop, therefore I am, unquote, to show the way consumerism has taken over mass consciousness, making people think they are what they possess. While the zeal to possess intensifies, so does the sense of spiritual emptiness. Because we are spiritually empty, we try to fill up on consumerism. We may not have enough love, but we can always shop. Our national spiritual hunger springs from a keen awareness of the emotional lack in our lives. It is a response to lovelessness. Going to temple or church has not satisfied this hunger, surfacing from deep within our souls. Organized religion has failed to satisfy spiritual hunger because it has accommodated secular demands, interpreting spiritual life in ways that uphold the values of a production-centered commodity culture. This is as true of the traditional Christian church as it is of new age spirituality. It's no accident that so many famous new age spiritual teachers link their teachings to a metaphysics of daily life that extols the virtues of wealth, privilege, and power. For example, consider new age logic, which suggests that the poor have chosen to be poor and have chosen their suffering. Such thinking removes from all of us who are privileged the burden of accountability. Rather than calling us to embrace love and greater community, it actually requires an investment in the logic of alienation and estrangement. The basic interdependency of life is ignored so that separateness and individual gain can be deified. Religious fundamentalism is often presented as authentic spiritual practice, and given a level of mass media exposure, the countercultural religious thought and practice never received. Usually fundamentalists, whether Christian, Muslim, or any faith or shape, interpret religious thought to make it conform to and legitimize a conservative status quo. Fundamentalist thinkers use religion to justify supporting imperialism, militarism, sexism, racism, and homophobia. They deny the unifying message of love that is at the heart of every major religious tradition. No wonder then that so many people who claim to believe in religious teachings do not allow their habits of being to reflect these beliefs. For example, the Christian church remains one of the most racially segregated institutions in our society. In Martin Luther King Jr.'s letter to American Christians, in which he assumes the persona of the biblical apostle Paul, he admonishes believers for supporting segregation. Quote, Americans, I must urge you to be rid of every aspect of segregation. Segregation is a blatant denial of the unity which we have in Christ. It substitutes an I-it relationship, for the I-thou relationship, and relegates persons to the status of things. It scars the soul and degrades the personality. It destroys community and makes brotherhood impossible, unquote. This is only one example of the way in which organized religious worship corrupts and violates religious principles about how we should live in the world and how we should act toward one another. Imagine how different our lives would be if all the individuals who claim to be Christians or who claim to be religious were setting an example for everyone by being loving. Blatant misuses of spirituality and religious faith could lead us to despair about spiritual life if we were not simultaneously witnessing a genuine concern for spiritual awakening, awakening expressed counterculturally, Whether it is the American Buddhist working in solidarity to Free Tibet or the many Christian-based organizations that provide support in the way of food and shelter for the needy globally, these embodiments of loving practice renew our hope and restore the soul. All around the world, liberation theology offers the exploited and oppressed a vision of spiritual freedom that is linked to struggles to end domination. A little more than 10 years after Fromm first published The Art of Loving, Martin Luther King Jr.'s Collection of Sermons, Strength to Love, was published. The major focus of these talks was the celebration of love as a spiritual force that unites and binds all life. Like Fromm's earlier work, these essays championed spiritual life, critiquing capitalism, materialism, and the violence used to enforce exploitation and dehumanization. In a 1967 lecture opposing war, King declared, quote, when I speak of love, I am not speaking of some sentimental and weak response. I am speaking of that force which all of the great religions have seen as the supreme unifying principle of life. Love is somehow the key that unlocks the door which leads to ultimate reality. This Hindu, Muslim, Christian, Jewish, Buddhist belief about ultimate reality is beautifully summed up in the first epistle of St. John. Let us love one another, for love is God, and everyone that loveth is born of God, and knoweth God. Throughout his life, King was a prophet of love. In the late 70s, when it was no longer cool to talk about spirituality, I found myself turning again and again to his work and to the work of Thomas Burton. As religious seekers and thinkers, both men focused attention on the practice of love as a means of spiritual fulfillment. Extolling the transformative power of love in his essay, quote, Love and Need, unquote, Merton writes, quote, love is, in fact, an intensification of life completeness a fullness a wholeness of life life curbs upward to a peak of intensity a high point of value and meaning at which all its latent creative possibility go into action and the person transcends himself or herself in encounter response and communion with another it is for this that we came into the world this communion and self-transcendence we do not become fully human until we give ourselves to each other in love The teachings about love offered by Fromm, King, and Merton differ from much of today's writing. There is always an emphasis in their work on love as an active force that should lead us into greater communion with the world. In their work, loving practice is not aimed at simply giving an individual greater life satisfaction. It is extolled as the primary way we end domination and oppression. The important politicization of love is often absent from today's writing. Much as I enjoy a popular New Age commentary on love, I'm also, I'm often struck by the dangerous narcissism fostered by spiritual rhetoric that pays so much attention to individual self-improvement and so little to the practice of love within the context of community. Packaged as a commodity, spirituality becomes no different from an exercise program. While may leave the consumer feeling better about his or her life, its power to enhance our communion with ourselves and others in a sustained way is inhibited. Commenting on the value of an engaged life in the active life, wisdom for work, creativity, and caring, Parker Palmer writes, quote, To be fully alive is to act. I understand action to be any way that we can co-create reality with other beings and the spirit. Action, like a sacrament, is the visible form of an invisible spirit, an outward manifestation of an inward power. But as we act, we not only express what is in us and help give shape to the world. We also receive what is outside us and reshape our inner selves, unquote. A commitment to a spiritual life requires us to do more than read a good book or go on a retreat. It requires conscious practice, a willingness to unite the way we think with the way we act. Spiritual life is first and foremost about commitment to a way of thinking and behaving that honors principles of inner being and interconnectedness. When I speak of the spiritual, I refer to the recognition within everyone that there is a place of mystery in our lives where forces that are beyond human desire or will alter certain circumstances or guide and direct us. I call these forces divine spirit. When we choose to lead a spirit-filled life, we recognize and celebrate the presence of transcendent spirits. Some people call this presence soul, God, beloved, higher consciousness, higher power. Still others say that this force is what it is because it cannot be named. To them, it's simply the spirit moving in us and through us. A commitment to spiritual life necessarily means we embrace the eternal principle that love is all, everything, our true destiny. Despite overwhelming pressure to conform to the culture of lovelessness, we will still seek to know love that seeking is itself a manifestation of divine spirit. Life-threatening nihilism abounds in contemporary culture, crossing the boundaries of race, class, gender, and nationality. At some point, it affects all our lives. Everyone I know is at times brought low by feelings of depression and despair about the state of the world. Whether it is the ongoing worldwide presence of violence expressed by the persistence of man-made war, hunger, and starvation, the day-to-day reality of violence, the presence of life-threatening diseases that cause the unexpected deaths of friends, comrades, and loved ones, there is much that brings everyone to the brink of despair. Knowing love, or the hope of knowing love, is the anchor that keeps us from falling into that sea of despair. In A Path With Heart, Jack Kornfield shares, quote, the longing for love and the movement of love is underneath all of our activities, unquote. Spirituality and spiritual life give us the strength to love. It's rare for individuals to choose a life in the spirit, one that honors the sacred dimensions of everyday life when they've had no contact with traditional religious thought or practice. Spiritual teachers are important guides who provide a catalyst for our spiritual awakening. Another source of spiritual growth is communion and fellowship with like minded souls. Spiritual seekers let their light shine so that others may see not only to give service by example, but also to constantly remind themselves that spirituality is most gloriously embodied in our actions, our habits of being. Insightfully, Jack Kornfield explains, quote, all other spiritual teachings are in vain if we cannot love. Even the most exalted states and the most exceptional spiritual accomplishments are unimportant if we cannot be happy in the most basic and ordinary ways. If, with our hearts, we cannot touch one another and the life we've been given. What matters is how we live, unquote. For some of us, church was the place where we first heard a counter-narrative of love, one that differed from the confused messages about love learned in dysfunctional families. The mystical dimensions of Christian faith, like the belief that we are all one, that love is all, presented to me as a child in the church were at the space of redemption. At church, I learned not only to understand that God is love, I learned also that children were special in the heart and mind of divine spirit. Dreaming of becoming a writer and valuing the life of the mind above all things, it was especially awesome to learn by heart passages like the love chapter. From childhood on, I've often reflected on the passage that proclaims, quote, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing." Throughout my graduate school years, as I worked hard to finish my doctorate, striving to maintain a commitment to spiritual life in a world that did not value being spiritual, I returned to these lessons about the primacy of love. The wisdom they convey kept me from hardening my heart. Remaining open to love was crucial to my academic survival. When the environment you live in and know most intimately does not place value on loving, a spiritual life provides a place of solace and renewal. Significantly, gaining knowledge about spirituality is not the same as a commitment to a spiritual life. Jack Kornfield testifies, quote, In undertaking a spiritual life, what matters is simple. We must make certain our path is connected with our heart. In beginning a genuine spiritual journey, we have to stay much closer to home to focus on what is right here in front of us to make sure that our path is connected with our deepest love." When we begin to experience the sacred in our everyday lives, we bring to mundane tasks a quality of concentration and engagement that lifts the spirit. We recognize divine spirit everywhere. This is especially true when we face difficulties. So many people turn to spiritual thinking only when they experience difficulties hoping that the sorrow or pain will just miraculously disappear. Usually they find that the place of suffering, the place where we are broken in spirit when accepted and embraced, is also a place of peace and possibility. Our sufferings do not magically end. Instead, we're able to wisely recycle them. They become the abundant waste that we use to make new growth possible. That is why scripture admonishes us to, quote, Count it all joy when we meet various trials, unquote. Learning to embrace our suffering is one of the gifts offered by spiritual life and practice. Spiritual practice does not need to be connected to organized religion in order to be meaningful. Some individuals find their sacred connection to life communing with the natural world and engaging in practices that honor life-sustaining ecosystems. You can meditate, pray, go to temple, church, mosque, Create a quiet sanctuary where we live to commune with Holy Spirits. To some folks, daily service to others is an affirmative spiritual practice, one that expresses their love for others. When we make a commitment to staying in touch with divine forces that inform our inner and outer world, we are choosing to lead a life in the spirit. I study spiritual teachings as a guide for reflection and action. Countercultural spiritual awakening is visible in books and magazines and in small circles where individuals come to celebrate and commune with the divine. Fellowship with other seekers after truth offers essential inspiration. Since the earliest roots of my spiritual practice were in Christian tradition, I still find the traditional church to be a place for worship and fellowship, and I also participate in a Buddhist practice. I meditate and pray. Everyone has to choose the spiritual practice that best enhances their life. This is why progressive seekers after truth urge us all to be tolerant, to remember that though our paths are many, we are made one community in love. The spiritual awakening that is slowly taking place counterculturally will become more of a daily norm as we all willingly break mainstream cultural taboos that silence or erase our passion for spiritual practice. For a long time, many of my friends had no idea I was devoted to a spiritual practice. Among progressive thinkers and scholars, it was much more hip, cool, and acceptable to express atheistic sentiments than to declare passionate devotion to divine spirit. I also didn't want folks to think that if I talked about my spiritual beliefs, I was trying to convert them, to impose those beliefs on them in any way. I began to speak more openly about the place of spirituality in my life when witnessing the despair of my students their sense of hopelessness, their fears that life is without meaning, their profound loneliness and lovelessness. When young, bright students would come to my office and confess their despondency, I felt it was irresponsible to just listen and commiserate with their woes without daring to share how I had confronted similar issues in my life. Often they would urge me to tell them how I sustained my joy in living, to tell the truth I had to be willing to talk openly about spiritual life, and I had to find a way to talk about my choices that didn't imply that they would be correct or right choices for someone else. My belief that God is love, that love is everything, our true destiny, sustains me. I affirm these beliefs through daily meditation and prayer, through contemplation and service, through worship and loving kindness. In the introduction to Loving Kindness, Sharon Salzberg re- teaches that the Buddha describes spiritual practice as, quote, the liberation of the heart, which is love, unquote. She urges us to remember that spiritual practice helps us overcome the feeling of isolation, which, quote, uncovers the radiant, joyful heart within each of us and manifests this radiance to the world, unquote. Everyone needs to be in touch with the needs of their spirit. This connectedness calls us to spiritual awakening, to love. In the biblical book of John, a passage reminds us that, quote, anyone who does not know love is still in death, unquote. All awakening to love is spiritual awakening.